0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Revenue Integrity Show, a NARI podcast. My name is Jacqueline Fitzgerald, and I am the director of NARI. For those of you who might be a little bit less familiar with what NARI does, we are the National Association of Healthcare Revenue Integrity. We provide advocacy and leadership for the revenue integrity profession, as well as news resources uh, and policies and procedures, and this wonderful podcast that you're all listening to. For more information about NARI, you can go ahead and visit us at NARI.com. Org. That's org. So the last time that we met or that we had an episode of the podcast, we talked about clinical documentation data and how it holds the key to relieving physician burnout. My guest on the last episode was Mary Pat Langer, Director of HIM Services at Deliver Health. So if you did miss that episode or any of our past episodes, you can find them up on the NARI website or streaming across any of your favorite podcast platforms. Today, we'll be talking about the state of price transparency, which has made great waves this year uh, since the implementation of the price transparency rules. My my guest on today's episode is David Miskawi, Vice President, Access Management Solutions at the SSI Group. David, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad to have this opportunity.
0: Absolutely. So before David and I go and uh, get into our discussion about price transparency, just a quick reminder that the application period is open for the NARI Leadership Council. Uh, This is for the 2021 to 2022 term. If you are a current member, we do encourage you to reapply just so that we know you are interested in joining us for a second year. If you're not familiar with the council, we've got some information up on our website, uh, nari.org. If you go over to the networking and events tab, there's a drop down over there. Uh, for the Council and that'll link you over to the application um, as well as provide you some additional information on um, the audience that we're looking for to focus our discussions and our research through the next year of the Council. If you do uh, apply for the council, whether you're accepted or not, through uh, the 17th of September, that will make you eligible for a free on-demand webinar. Uh, There are details on that offering as well as the information about the coupon code that will be provided at the end of the application for you. And just for a little bit of background information, the NARI Leadership Council focuses on bringing together revenue cycle and revenue integrity leaders from facilities across the country. So, this is primarily focused on folks in those rev cycle, rev integrity manager, director, VP, and so forth roles. Uh, we do also encourage folks in compliance, HIM, and coding leadership uh, to apply, but we try to focus our research and discussions on what's going on within facilities specifically uh, so that the uh, the, the The year is completely focused on uh, exactly what's going on in those facilities, what you're working on, what you're struggling with, um, and getting some cutting edge research out there. So with that, Dave and I will go and get into our discussion about price transparency uh, so David, could you tell me first uh, just a little bit about the CMS price transparency rule that went into effect January 1st of this year uh, and what the current state of price transparency looks like um, and you know sort of a little bit of background on that rule and what the requirements were
1: mm, okay, great certainly um, well let, let me start by giving somewhat of a background I mean First, um, you know, providers are increasingly uh, paying more attention to their patients' uh, personal financial impact for the services they are providing, as well as their digital experience. Uh, This is becoming a necessity as healthcare costs continue to increase and patients are becoming more savvy in the consumption of these services. You know, by some estimates, a family of four will have an annual healthcare cost of over $20,000. You know, for employee-sponsored health plans, that works out to around 7,600 in employee contributions and additional 4,600 in employee out-of-pocket expenses. In other words, you know the copay, coinsurance, deductibles. Now, this this is an increase of around 5% over 2019. Um, so, it is reasonable for consumers to demand a, a better understanding of their costs before purchasing their healthcare needs. Um, over the years, states have responded. You know, with a hodgepodge of legislation, however, all but a few are faring better than, than an F or, or D grade. Um, so, so partially to address this, the federal government mandated back in, in 2019, hospitals published their, their charge master. Um, but this did not truly provide the ability for patients to understand their potential, much less actual out-of-pocket costs, um, which this eventually led to the CMS final rule for transparency, which went into effect, as we know, on the beginning of this year. Uh, so looking at the current state, I would say you know, we are still in somewhat of a flux. Uh, while the re- uh, regulation is designed to create more transparency in the market, it's not yet clear how far we have come in achieving the objective of providing more empowerment for the consumers of healthcare. I think the jury is still out in terms of how this new regulation has created the ability for consumers to shop you know, for their services, much less help in driving healthcare prices down. And now, to be fair, uh, there are some outstanding solutions in the market, and hospitals are embracing these tools. However, what makes it complicated for both the provider as well as the patient to determine the true out of pocket expense is, is that I like, like I said, threefold. Um, first, you know, is the ability to drill down to a hospital's contracted allowable with the insurance company for which the patient is insured. In other words, how much will the insurance company pay for the procedure? And second is determining the, the actual benefits. Uh, for the service being performed. For example, a patient's benefits for a colonoscopy with biopsy will not be the same as for a radiology visit. Uh, the coinsurance, as an example, may look quite different depending on the patient's insurance plan. And, and then third, um, you know, again, high level in terms of, of what we're facing here is, is that some services are billed out separately, such as charges uh, from a physician that is not employed by the hospital. You know, a classic example uh, of this would be an anesthesiologist's charges. Uh, this uh, prevents the patient from knowing the true cost for the procedure until the actual bill arrives. So, um, you know, in summary, hospitals are moving forward uh, with solutions for patients to better understand their costs before uh, service. But, but there are still some gaps. And important is is to also keep in mind that the more information we make available for consumers of healthcare, the more education will be needed to understand the complexities of the market and, and how costs are are determined. I think that, that uh, puts us uh, to, to where we are today in terms of, of the current standing. We're um, in the deployment phase, um, uh, but but still there, there, there are kinks to be worked out as we move forward. I think you asked me um, uh, how to um, explain the rules briefly. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, if you could a bit.
1: Yeah. Um, so there, the way I look at it, there, there are two primary requirements. Um, first, there's the deployment of a consumer-friendly estimator tool for, for 300 defined CMS shoppable services, um, whereby um, it should be searchable by plain language description together with billing codes. Um, you have to have the payer-specific negotiated charges, hence the allowable, so that the patient's benefits can be calculated against uh, what will be paid and hence what the patient will owe um and for the uninsured there needs to be the stated self-pay rate um and as it relates to primary shovelable procedures it, it needs to be grouped with ancillary services in other words all costs related to the primary procedure code must be included you know as an example if you're using a colonoscopy it has a primary diagnostic procedure code 45378 to drive the primary costs. however there are costs related to the drugs being used, physician, physician services, pathology interpretation of the results, and facility fees, which all need to be incorporated in the patient estimate. Um, the estimator tool itself needs to be displayed prominently on, uh, on the patient on the hospital's website. And, and you know, lastly, the data needs to be updated at least annually. And, and that's the, the the first requirement: is is this tool um, on a hospital's website for a patient to self-calculate the estimate for the procedure um, with those specific requirements associated with that. I mean, the second requirement is is to have a machine-readable file that contains five standard charge types, four to 300 defined services. And and those charge types are one, the gross charges. Uh, Second, you have to have the payer-specific negotiated charges for each in-outward payer. Uh, de-identified minimum and de-identified maximum negotiated charges for each of the services and the discounted cash price for the services all within these um, uh, five machine readable uh, files or, or one file with the five charges.
0: Great, thank you for that overview, David. Um, so I think when you know we first heard about the price transparency rule, um, we knew it was going to be a bit burdensome. But obviously, the healthcare uh, universe has been flipped upside down. Um, you know, since that rule came out, and even since the implementation date. Uh, what are some of the ways you're seeing hospitals, payers, and patients uh, being affected by this rule?
1: Well, I think patients first. Um, you know, as more costs shift to the patients, consumers of healthcare are increasingly uh, wanting to shop, compare costs, and budget for the medical expenses, um, uh, just like we do when we realize our Toyota 4Runner will um, need new tires, uh, which mine uh, recently did. Um, you know, despite the new regulation, patients continue to be challenged in finding and understanding uh, the cost of healthcare. Uh, there's still an information disconnect between patients and the payers and the hospitals. As I mentioned earlier, the devil is in the details um, when understanding and budgeting for healthcare needs. Um, you know, I like to look at, um, you know, not all patients are alike, and if we focus just on millennials as an example, um, you know, they're shaking things up, and, and this is uh, very important considering that they make up nearly 23% of the U.S. population. Generally speaking, millennials um, take care into their own hands, and they do their research when it comes to their finances, which I believe will continue to put pressure on the industry for more transparency with the appropriate apps and access to the information to assist. And you know, consumers of healthcare, regardless of the age bracket, will continue to require uh, the ability to plan ahead for the medical expenses, um, understanding total or, or expected total uh, costs, and then determining the appropriate payment arrangements, pre-service, um, just like shopping for those new Toyota forerunner tires that I just recently had to do. Um, uh, so I, I think from a patient perspective, we're moving in the right direction. We're, we're starting to provide them with access to the information needed, um, you, know, you know, pre-scheduling so they can start to, to take uh, healthcare into their own hands in terms of determining, you know, what, when, how, why, um, you know, from our providers. Perspective It's important to understand that you know, if we look at some of the, some of the recent um, studies done, you know, 68% of patients prefer to know about their financial obligations at or before discharge. Over one-third want to have this information prior to admission or registration. And you know, just over 50% of patients would pay you know, $200 to $500 if an estimate was provided at the time of care. Um, so it's very important to, now that we have this regulation that we're um, putting this into practice and in, in, in allowing patients or allowing providers to provide a service uh, to their patients. Um, you know, it just uh, another study I'll point out that you know, going beyond just the estimator, more than uh, three in five consumers want contactless options made prevalent in the, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic to remain in the future. Including telehealth and digital payments. You know, continuing with that, 82% of consumers want to make all their healthcare payments in one place. Um, more than half consumers would consider switching providers for a better healthcare payment experience. But of course, you know all that starts with the ability to know and plan for the cost, hence the the price transparency regulation and and, and the impact on the industry. Um, you know, I think as uh, so, uh, transparency price transparency presents providers with an opportunity to, one, facilitate the healthcare's digital front door, engaging consumers directly by by helping to transfer information and empower them to make informed decisions around the healthcare needs. Um, also, the ability to increase their cash collections. Uh, through technology and proper processes, providers can now inform consumers about their costs before service and begin the conversation on payment arrangements which you know, I discussed earlier is a very important component. Um, with, with programs deployed for patient self-service, providers are in a position to improve that, that one-to-one communications, uh, which can help drive patient acquisition and, and the patient's overall experience. Um, so, so I think there's, there's been a great impact um, on patients and, and providers alike on, on this um, transparency regulation.
0: Yeah, it certainly changed the face of healthcare, especially for folks in the revenue integrity space, um, and just in in terms of what patients are able to, um, you know, absorb about their own healthcare care costs. Uh, so there was a recent study that we wanted to discuss um, by JAMA that was talking about uh, many hospitals are non-compliant with at least one major requirement of this rule. Um, this doesn't necessarily surprise me, uh, just in terms of how, uh, you know, how much work went into um, the effort to comply um, and then sort of the, you know, halt that a lot of facilities probably had to put on those efforts uh, in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and the regulations around that, that were coming out uh, rapid fire. So what have you seen as some of the major challenges for hospitals when they're trying to implement this rule and and what do you think might be sort of the reason behind some of that non-compliance?
1: Um well okay, first of all I'd take to to um that that recent study. I mean, I think the article points at some good news <laughs> in the effort of uh, for hospitals to create uh, appropriate transparency for their existing and future customers. I mean, research shows that a majority of the hospitals are complying complying with some part of the regulation i mean, not all of the aspects of the regulation, but you know, is, but this should be expected. I mean, as you pointed out, hospitals have and are going through unprecedented times just with COVID-19. Um, I think, um, you know, full or even partial implementation is a cost benefit analysis as, as it relates to competing priorities, especially in, in these very uh, trying times. Um, you know, there, the CMS uh, initially came out with um, a $300 per day fine for non-compliance. Um, and in the release 2022 outpatient prospective payment system proposed rule, CMS would like to increase the penalties to $5,500 per day for a maximum of just over $2 million per year for noncompliance. Um, you know, since the start of the regulation, CMS has uh, sent at least 165 warning letters to hospitals, uh, providing them with 90 days to address their noncompliance before additional measures are taken. However, just last month, CMS uh, then said they will hold off on noncompliance penalties. Um, so, again, it, it, it really is a cost-benefit analysis for hospitals in determining when and how much of the regulations to deploy. Um, but, you know, how, the, the train has left the station in terms of consumers' desire for true digital experience, which starts with transparency, in order to begin the decision-making process uh, towards the consumption of other healthcare needs. Um, this should should further drive hospitals um, into compliance. Um, You know, if we look at at the challenges, well, you know, as I said, of course, um, you know, COVID-19 aside, uh, the first challenge is determining what parts of the regulation to comply with, first in light of a hospital's own capabilities, but then uh, as it relates to competing resources. Um, But also more importantly, uh, it is becoming uh, it is coming to terms with the patient's desire for more comprehensive digital experience, um, providing access to information at the fingertips of their current and, and the potential uh, future customers, that acquisition piece. Um, th- this is a cultural shift for hospitals. So just the deployment of technology does not solve the problem of attracting and retaining their clients, the patients. I think um, yeah, aligning an organization with the changing needs of their patients is the major challenge facing hospitals as it relates to price transparency and, and its deployment.
0: Really good points. And I mean, I think people have been moving toward that realm of wanting more things electronically for a while now um, definitely speeds up that process when we think about the widespread availability of telehealth over the last year Um, and just as people become more tech savvy in general um, so it does certainly seem like uh, it would be in a hospital's best interest to comply uh, given the needs of the the patients at this time. So what can exactly. you um, offer in terms of guidance for hospitals who are trying to implement the rule requirements? Maybe they're in a position where, you know, like that Java study, they're non-compliant with one or more of the major requirements, or maybe they just really haven't gotten the ball rolling uh, at all at this point. Um, what can we look to offer f- for advice in that area and um, to set folks up for success?
1: Great question. So at that inside group, we advise our clients to leverage their existing core competencies. I May mean, first determine what aspects of the transparency regulation can be implemented in-house. Um, it, it would not say by default go out to your vendors, but determine you know are there certain pieces of the regulation that, based on the resources, based on the capabilities, they can empower their own organization to deploy. You know, as an example, several several of our clients have deployed the machine readable file. Um, based on their own capabilities, but have turned to the SSI group to deliver a comprehensive provider and patient-facing estimator tool to comply with the regulations. Um, We also recommend that our clients keep an eye – keep in mind that the consumer-centric payment experience increases uh, overall patient satisfaction, um, collections, which uh, translates uh, on the financial end, loyalty, and and referrals. That as they roll out these, these new patient digital experiences, they keep their eye on the core objectives that they have.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, David, um, for walking us through the rule and kind of talking a little bit about some trouble spots that people are stuck on um, and what they can do to keep moving forward to ensure compliance um, and to ensure patient satisfaction. Any other thoughts you'd like to share uh, with the audience relative to the price transparency rule?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just we look at strategies for success, say, at this type of group, um, we focus on working with our clients to enhance the quality of the patient financial interactions. This takes the form of providing transparency to the providers and patients alike, but we also take a holistic approach around access to payment options, including payment plans, seamless digital options for pre-service payments. You know, as it relates um, to the transparency of regulation, the strategies that we see succeed are uh, most are hospitals that look at the spirit of the law. Uh, with a focus on creating interaction with their patients and consumers, Um, making sure uh, that the online patient estimator is easy to find and use. Um, Successful deployments include options around online patient estimator for patients to request additional information, as well as the ability to schedule an appointment after uh, successfully uh, completing an estimator for the procedure. Um, To ensure full patient understanding on the estimate, processes need to be put into place um, for hospital staff to review online estimates and to run ones uh, at the time, you know, run new ones at the time of scheduling to ensure proper benefits are applied. You know, as an example, to, uh, to educate the patient um, to any changes to the out-of-pocket expense and, and why. Um, as as, as it is an estimate, there should be published rules around refunds. In addition, there, there needs to be clear understanding of the patient's financial responsibilities and overall collection policies. And of course, the hospitals need to have flexible payment options um, that I mentioned before. So, you know, again, it, it's it's not the, the the letter of the law, but but the, the spirit of um, engaging your patients um, in, in this this new paradigm that I think you mentioned early on. This this shift uh, that this uh, transparency regulation has created.
0: Absolutely. Well, fantastic points all around, David. And I thank you for taking the time to talk through all of this with us and share your insight from what you've seen out there in the industry. Um, And really great to have you on the show. And we welcome you back to join us and, and share your expertise anytime.
1: Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. All right. So the next episode that airs live will be on September 23rd. And as a reminder, you can always stream our past episodes up on the NARI website, nari.org backslash podcast, or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. So thank you again to David for joining me today. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and staying engaged with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.